uh, as the people for Jesus to demonstrate who he is and what he's come to do. We've already done two of these signs. If you remember the uh, changing water into wine, where Jesus showed that his death is sufficient to bring life uh, to the world. Then we saw the cleansing of the temple, the sign that showed that Jesus was the true son who's come, the true temple in which God has come to dwell. And now we're taking a look at the healing of the official son. This is sign three. This is John 4, 43 through 54 that can be found on the inside of your bulletin. After two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, the servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him yesterday, at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The word of the Lord. Well, it was Patriots Day. 2006, April 17th, in the city of Boston, Massachusetts, when I was standing on a starting line at the Boston Marathon. I had been training and managed to qualify for what is called the People's Olympics, the opportunity to qualify and be a part of a world-class race. It was an exciting time for me, a milestone I had failed several times before trying to qualify. You know, the Boston Marathon is a very interesting race. You would think it's a race for younger folks, but the average age of a qualifier in the Boston Marathon is 41. Now why is that? Because a marathon is about, it's really a suffer fest in many ways. It's about endurance, it's about patience, it's about long suffering. And so myself and 20,000 other long suffering friends were gathering together to run this race. We wanted to be able to say the three words, I finished Boston. There were many spectators there that day. Uh, Patriots Day is a, is a state holiday. And so uh, everybody comes out. It's four people deep all the way for 26 miles. I remember one of the strangest things when I was running this race, you know, you go through these little towns and then you go through colleges, you know, Boston College, you know, everybody's out. And I was rounding the corner, I heard what I would call shrieking. It was like a bunch of banshees or something. I'm wondering, what is, I've never heard the sound before. It was the girls from Wesley College, Wellesley, that come out and are screaming for the marathon folks. In fact, they'll, they'll give you a kiss if you go by them. So I'm a married, married man, plus I was suffering immensely, so I stayed away from the Wellesley girls. But... Uh, there were many participants, but there were many, many 
spectators. Well, today we know about this tragedy in which there were people who were spectators who had come to watch a race, who became participants, not in a game of sport, but a game of life and death. See, those people at the finish line, all they came to do was to celebrate and cheer and watch the people coming through. But in an instant, the entire race changed, didn't it? As people were thrust into this race of life and death, either being injured themselves or people coming off of the sidelines to help those who were injured, runner and spectator alike. It was a story of life and death in which many died and some lived. We are thankful for the heroes that we've been able to see, those first responders who stepped into harm's way to help folks, that there is hope in the midst of that tragedy. You know, life is kind of like that, isn't it? You're a spectator. You're watching something that's going on, kind of dispassionate from it, and then all of a sudden you find yourself thrust into it. You know, you're helping your friend who's lost a job, and, but you're a little bit distanced from that, and then all of a sudden it comes upon you, and you're right in there, from spectator to participant. Or medically, a friend of yours has struggles and difficulties, and then all of a sudden you get the call. And the time to come into the doctor is yours, and you move from spectator to participant. Some things are fun in being a participant, like being in the Boston Marathon, but life and death is another thing that comes upon us that we're thrust into. See, the story of Boston at the end was a story of life and death. And so this story also is a story of life and death. But as Boston was from life to death, the story that we have in front of us here today is from death to life. See, this message, which is all about faith, shows us one important thing. That the road to eternal life starts at the door of faith. The road to eternal life starts at the door of faith. What is faith? Well, number one, faith is the courage to come. It's to get off of the sidelines and to participate. Faith is the courage to come. But number two, faith is the courage to believe. Not only to come close, but to become a participant yourself. And then finally, the courage of faith is to go. To go out from what you've heard. To live this life of faith. Because the road to eternal life starts at the door of faith. Well, let's look at this passage in faith, which is the courage to come. This is my first point. If you remember Jesus has come and he, he healed, he did the miracle of the water to wine in John 2. And then he went to Jerusalem and he overturned the tables uh, in the temple and just created an uproar. In fact, the scripture said he did many signs and wonders and miracles in Jerusalem. And so now he departs through Samaria and he's going into Galilee again. John 4, 43 says this interesting thing that after two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Now Jesus was from Nazareth in the district of Galilee. So really what he's saying is, uh, this region I have no honor uh, as a prophet. And sure enough, the people watched Jesus as he came into Galilee. And he was welcomed, but he was not worshipped. See, they welcomed him, as the passage says here, because they had seen, verse 45, all that he had done at the feast. For they too had been there. They had watched these miracles. 
They had seen Jesus overturn the temples. Frankly, everyone was fascinated with this man. So when he came, he was welcomed. And indeed, he even went all the way back to Cana. If you remember, Jesus had turned the water into wine. And nobody knew but the servants. But what do you think those servants did when they went home? Wow, you have never seen anything like this. This man turned these stones, I'm telling you, we filled them with water. And the buzz went out. And so Jesus comes back. And he's welcome because people want to see him do these magical things. He's welcomed, not worshipped. Because truth be told, the people are looking for a magician. They're not looking for a Messiah. Well, Jesus comes, the people watch, but someone else is in this story, isn't he? The official. The official comes from Capernaum. We don't know a whole lot about this guy. He was an important official. Whether he was Jewish or he was Roman, we're not exactly sure. But we do know that he was in a position of power. He was used to being obeyed. He was used to being honored. And yet this official is in trouble because his son is dying. Now because this man is a wealthy man, we know that he has spent his money, that he had the best medical care that anyone could have. I had a friend of mine, more an acquaintance, who was a very wealthy man with the Learjet and the whole deal. And then his son got sick. And money was not an option. Trying to find a way to heal the most precious thing to him. And so this official travels 20 miles to Jesus to plead with him, come and heal my son. And Jesus responds in a very bizarre way. So Jesus said to him, verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now this you, by the way, is in the plural. Jesus is not only speaking to the man, he's speaking to everyone around him. He's standoffish, he's almost pushing him away. I see what you want to do, you want to see a miracle first, just like everyone else. You're looking for a magician, not a messiah. And Jesus, it almost seems, pushes him away. And yet the man's response is so interesting. Sir, come down before my son dies. We see in this man a faith that is bold, that's persistent, that's reckless. The man is not willing to go even after he seems to be put off by Jesus. This rebuke to the entire uh, region. This man stays, even with the possibility of being embarrassed. The one who is honored comes to honor the one who is not honored. Sir, Curie in the Greek, Kyrios, Lord, come down uh, as my son still lives before he dies. You know, he's one of these people that will not uh, hear no. We see them in the Bible, don't we? The parable of the persistent widow who continues to knock, grant me justice against my adversary, Lord. I will not quit, I will not stop. Matthew eleven twelve, 12, Jesus says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. See, this official is an example of a forceful man who comes with faith, a reckless faith. See, we see a, a picture between two different types of people here, don't we? Some who are spectators, and one who is a participant. 
See, to the spectator, Jesus comes. But to the participant, he comes. To the spectator, Jesus is a curiosity. But to the participant, Jesus is life and death. The spectator has no need of Christ, but this official to Jesus is all the need in the world. The spectator has no faith, while the official has reckless faith. You know, what is faith? Faith means to keep on asking, where disbelief means to never ask at all. Faith means to keep on asking, to not quit until one gets the answer. Well, we, what about us? You know, we live in a culture of entertainment, don't we? We live in a culture of spectating, of being able to see whatever we want on channels, to be able to keep a distance. You know, it's interesting, we watch the State of the Union address, and then we watch the people talk about the State of the Union address. We're a culture of spectators, a culture of entertainment. In many ways, we're like the region of Galilee. We want to see God perform. We want to experience the feeling, but not necessarily the faith. And so the church so often provides with more smoke machines and more music and more things to elicit a feeling rather than to engender faith. Because so often we too are looking for a magician and not a Messiah. But this story is about one who has the boldness to step off the sideline from being a, uh, to being a spectator to a participant. Sooner or later, we all have to do that. I remember I was driving down uh, 64 one time, driving from Charlottesville to Stanton, Virginia, beautiful mountainous country there, when all of a sudden the car in front of me uh, went left, okay, we're on this highway, and then, like they were drifting off, and then they suddenly came to themselves. Maybe the person was falling asleep, and the wheel got jerked back and went rapidly across and hit one of those uh, median things, one of those guardrails, and flipped right over, right in front of me, just like that. And I'm shocked, stunned. What does one do? And so I either can go on, and keep going and be a spectator, or I'm thrown into being a participant. And by God's grace, I pulled over uh, there where the car was, and the car's wheels were spinning. It's on its, you know, uh, you know, it's on its roof, and the wheels are spinning, and gas is flowing. And here I am, and there are people in the car. And luckily, the car's windows were busted out, and so I'm reaching in, pulling these people out to get out of there, which they did. And the car never blew, and I sat there shell-shocked for about 10 minutes, and then I left. And in fact, it's, it's in my mind, and yet I can't remember the time. It was a time when I was thrust in and I had to make a decision. Am I going to be a spectator, or am I going to be a participant? See, this is what's going on with this man, and it's what's going on with us. See, who is Jesus Christ to you? Maybe you've heard of him from other people. You've seen the stories. You've come to the Christmas uh, uh, celebrations. And so you've come to church maybe today to say, show me, Jesus. I do welcome you, but I'm not quite ready to worship you. See, I need more data. I need more information. If I see, 
I will believe. But Jesus is only seen by those who need him and reach out to him in sincere faith. Because the road to eternal life starts at the door of faith. There were spectators all around that day when Jesus went into Galilee, but there was only one who recognized him, the man who had need, the official. So are you a spectator or are you a participant? Here's one way, here are three ways to know if you're a spectator or a participant. What are you willing to bet on Jesus? How much of your life, how much of your hopes and your dreams are you willing to bet on Jesus? Do you see that there's a need for him? Or are you like the spectator, who Jesus is a curiosity, someone to see but not necessarily to rely on? Number one, how much are you willing to bet on Jesus? Number two, how bold are you willing to be? See, to be a participant is to get in the race and to go all the way to the finish line, no matter what the cost. You know, it's interesting, some of those people, even amidst the explosion, continue to run to the finish line. Why? Because they've been running for three and a half hours. And it's all they had was to keep running. Their mind was focused. How bold are you willing to be in going to meet this one called the Christ? Number three, how far are you willing to go? The official traveled 20 miles. How far are you willing to go in order to move from being a spectator to a participant? Because the road to eternal life starts at the door of faith. And faith is the courage to come. Well, that brings us to our second point, that faith is the courage not only to come, but to trust. The official pleas to Jesus, come, come down with me, because my son will die if you don't. And verse 50, Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. See, the man says, come, and Jesus says, go. And now he has a choice. The man wants Jesus' presence, but Jesus gives the man a promise. And the man is confronted with a decision. How will he respond? Think about that. All he gets is a word. See, Jesus is testing him, isn't he? You want to see a miracle, don't you? Just like everyone else. No, I want my son to live. Very well, he will live. And now this man is left with, do I trust this word or not? Do I start walking? I may never see this man again. He's my only hope. It's not like there's the internet or the phone or something like that. He may come back and Jesus is gone. How does he know that his son is going to live? Faith. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Faith is putting all of your hope on all of his help. As this man decides to believe his word. See, the official didn't see the miracle. He couldn't see it. He could only see with eyes of faith. And so for 20 miles, he walked. You wonder what those 20 miles were like? Wondering. And we all know, if you have children, what that's like. When you're not sure how they're doing. One hope. The man believed. And belief is where rubber meets the road, isn't it? It's easy in some ways to come near to Jesus. It's a totally different thing to take him at his word and to trust him. Faith is putting all of your hope on all of his help. You know, the thing about Jesus that's 
that confounds me and confounds so many is that Jesus never responds in the way we want him to. He does not perform on command, does he? This man has it all set up. I'm going to go get Jesus. I'm going to bring him back with me. And my son is going to be healed. And Jesus goes, uh-uh, we're not going to do it that way. What do you mean we're going to do it that That's exactly the way that, that, that I figured this thing out. And if you follow Jesus, you'll discover that that happens all the time. I got this picture about the way it's going to go, Jesus. Let's go make it happen. And Jesus says, I tell you what, I want you to go this way. And you're going to have to exercise faith. And you're not going to see in the beginning whether this is going to come together or not. See, Jesus never responds in the way we want him to, but Jesus commands. And he promises. And he says, obey and trust. See, this isn't an option, is it? Go. It's in the imperative in the Greek. It's a command. Go. Your son lives. Does he obey or does he not? See, at the end of the day, it comes down to the burden of proof. What was the burden of proof of the people from Galilee? pretty darn high, wasn't it? Show me something, and then I'll believe you. What's the burden of proof of this man? It has to be the word of Jesus. See, each one of us has a burden of proof, don't we? If your burden of proof is impossible, you've come here saying, when I see a miracle, when I touch his hands and I feel his side, then I will believe. You won't. And Jesus is not going to show you anything of himself. Until you believe. Because Jesus is interested in a love relationship. We don't want to believe in Jesus. We want to bargain with him. We're interested in what he can do for us. But Jesus is interested in us and our heart. But you see, in the same way as this official, we're in the exact same place. In fact, even better, in my opinion, because we don't have the presence of Jesus when we have his word. All this man had was go, your son will live. We have an entire book of words of Christ that guide us in who he is, in what he thinks of us, in how we are to live. You know, the Bible is true, but it's not exhaustive. It doesn't tell me who to marry. It doesn't tell me which job to take. It doesn't tell me how I'm supposed to act in particular situations that are very specific to this life. But Jesus gives me the word that I need to live the life of faith and to experience His presence and His power. And my God will meet all of your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to them, whoever would come after me must take up his cross and walk. Whoever loses his life will gain it, but whoever gains his life will lose it. What point is it to gain the whole world but to lose your very soul? I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Promise after promise. This is who I am. This is how you are to walk. But you must walk in faith. So what is your burden of proof? And how do you respond when Christ gives you his word? I don't know if you know the story of this enigmatic figure, Ernest Shackelford. Anyone know Ernest Shackelford? Very famous British explorer. Okay, you know, in the old school days of British explorers. You know, think of those guys in the tweed outfit, you know, and just larger than life and climbing the Himalayas. 
Well, Shackelford was a, uh, a, was a polar expedition explorer. His goal was North Pole, South Pole, plant the Union Jack. He was a real guy's guy. But to go down there, the conditions were horrible. I mean, who would want to go down to the bottom of the world? And he was putting together this expedition. So he decided, this is how I'm going to get people. He put out an advertisement in the paper. And it simply said this, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. From that advertisement, Shackelford put together a crack team of 27 men who went down and back, and all of them survived. Granted, they lost a toe or two, but you know, that's just the way it works. You see, the call went out, and as these men saw Shackelford, they didn't know all of him, but they knew enough to say, I will follow you. They had courage to trust, and this was simply in a man with uncertain conditions. We have much more than a man. We have the Son of God. See, God has given us an advertisement, hasn't he? Follow my son, who I have sent. He will lead you to life. But we have a burden of proof. He doesn't say it will be safe. He doesn't say it will be easy. He doesn't say, I'll tell you the path. But he does say, I will be with you. And I will get you to the end. And I will give you everything you need. Because I've given you my word. And my word is my bond. What's your crisis that you're in the middle of right now? Maybe you're uh, divorced or you're single. You're hoping that there's that somebody out there that you can love and they'll love you, but they don't seem to be materializing. And you're wondering, is there anything for me? But God says, follow me. Jesus says, follow me, and you know what? I'm going to give you exactly what you need. I'm going to give you the love that you need. I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what I want to give you, which is far better. See, Jesus doesn't take us down the straight path, much like Shackelford didn't take him down the straight path either. Life is an adventure with twists and turns. But we have a God that says, follow me and I will give you life. Whatever your circumstances. Often in life, we just don't know what to do aside from putting one foot in front of the other. Walking by faith and maybe just the word that God's given us. But we must take him at his word. Because faith is the courage to trust. Do you know God's word? Do you know what he said, what he has said to you? See, if you don't, if you don't know his word, how can you walk? How can you trust when you don't know his promises? This is the entire point of church, by the way. I'm simply a coach. A shepherd, my job is to challenge you, to kick you in the butt sometimes, to teach and train you and say, know his word, walk in faithfulness to him, because he's given us his word. And what's your situation right now? You can go to his word and you can study it. What does God say to me in this difficulty? God has given us his church so we can join with others. You know, there's no way Shackelford would have taken that journey alone. I certainly wouldn't. 
But we're on this journey together to study the Word, to know it, to encourage one another. And so we too must answer the advertisement of Jesus Christ. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. I will give you eternal life. Because the road to eternal life starts at the door of faith. Well, faith is the courage to come. Faith is the courage to trust. And faith is the courage to go. And so this man, his father, this royal official, walked for 20 miles. In fact, it's not until tomorrow we discover that he actually found the answer to what, um, what Jesus had said. See, it was probably a very lonely and quiet walk in which he took step by step of faith. And yet we discover that the servants met him on the way. And they told, that his, told him that his son was recovering. Verse 51. And so the man asked the question, when did he start to get better? And he got the answer. The seventh hour, one o'clock in the afternoon. The man's faith was validated. And he believed in all of his household. Now time out. It already said that the guy believed. So why did he believe again? How is his belief the second time different than the first time? See, the man no longer believed in God's promises as much as he believed in God himself. See, the first part was, Jesus, do this thing for me. But the second was, Jesus, you are my Lord. And you can do all things for me. See, the beginning was a transaction. Jesus, help me. But as his faith grew and he experienced this, it blossomed into a relationship. And it moved from transaction into worship. As this man realized that it's not about what I can do, but about what he can do. It's not about who I am, but it's about who he is. And this life of faith is about who I am to him, and he is to me. A deeper faith in his person, not just his power. See, we all have the 20-mile walk. Whether it's the journey of life that we're on right now, whether it's the particular assignment that you have as you're walking, often alone, wondering if God will be with us. But Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the midst of your hopes and dreams and pain, I will be with you. And we can have confidence in that 20-mile journey because Jesus took an infinitely larger journey, didn't he? See, while we're moving from death to life, Jesus moved from life to death. A journey of a million miles. Divinity to humanity. The finish line was the cross. The tomb was his reward. But because he was God, he could not be stopped from winning the race. No matter what anyone threw at him, certainly not the Romans. For they sought to do him evil, indeed Satan himself. And yet he emerged victorious, unscathed, resurrected. Jesus has come and he's died that we might live. And so he has sealed the promises of his word in his very own blood. See, at the end of the day, the miracle, the sign is not that this child is healed. It's that he is the author of life and has the ability to change the human heart.
free of life where there is death. See, that child might have lived, but at some time the child will certainly die. See, death for the person who is a Christian is the finish line of faith. When faith moves to sight, this healing is a sign that Christ wants to give eternal life to anyone who will come to him with eyes of faith to walk through that door and say, lead me on this 20-mile journey. I will follow and trust you by faith. How long are you in your journey of life? Maybe 60 years. Maybe 40. You know, there was an 8-year-old kid that died that day. And there were older people as well. We never know when it's our time. But we do know this. When we walk through the door of faith, our destination is certain. Eternal life in Him. Every year, my friends, we're going to have obstacles. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have places where we're tested so that our faith can become deeper and stronger. And as we go further and further, sometimes away from where we think God is, we can experience belief not only in His power, but in His purpose. And we can live with confidence, stronger, and with more peace amidst whatever circumstance. Are you not a Christian yet? I encourage you, I urge you to start the journey. Go to this one. Don't be a spectator, but a participant. Meet me. Give me a word. And I'll step through the door and I'll walk by faith. I will trust in your cross and I will trust in your promises. And you know what? Jesus will meet you on the other side of that door. He will meet you on the journey. You must take a step through. You must come and you must trust and you must go. If you are a Christian, maybe you're a difficult part of the journey. Maybe you need to go back to His Word. Do a little course reckoning. You know, Shackleford, they didn't have GPRS or anything like that. So they used a sextant. You know what a sextant is? Very simple. It cites one thing that will not move, and then it angles it against everything that's moving. In their case, the sun. And the sun was able to show them exactly where they were going. See, we have God's word as we're on this uncertain journey in a polar destination. If you are a Christian, continue to cite your life by the Son, God's word by His Holy Spirit. The life of a Christian is a marathon. 26 miles of running. But we are called not to spectate, but to participate. And this church as well is called to participate together. To be the race. Imagine if people out there in the community could see us walking and running this race of faith together. I think there are people that would say, you know what, I want to be a part of that. And from what I can tell, there's some places here. We've got room for more. So run the journey of faith. The road to eternal life starts at the door of faith. Have the courage to come. Have the courage to trust. And finally have the courage to go. Let's pray. Lord, we do continue to mourn these people at Boston and the pain and suffering. And yet, Lord, we pray and know that you are in charge of all things. And sometimes you allow those things you hate to accomplish that which you love. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in the lives of the people who are responding by faith.
We pray that people would be shaken to the core of what is the journey in life that they're on, that they would trust and believe, and that they would come to you. Lord, would help us to run this race of faith ourselves with boldness, recklessness, faith, moving forward in confidence because you are with us even in the midst of the darkness. We trust you, Lord. Where else can we go? You have the very words of life. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.